Well, it is a privilege for us to have my friend Mark Kittrell here with us today. Uh, I met Mark when I was still in high school. He was in college. Um, he, you may not know, but Mark is a very, very good basketball player. Um, uh, he would play a friend of mine, Charlie Dunn, and he would, Charlie was like six, eight, six, seven. He is, I'm sorry, he was, he is that tall. And uh, Mark would spot him like, play to 21, spot him 20 points or something like that. And Charlie was a couple of years younger than me in high school, but he was, Charlie was a pretty good basketball player and Mark would beat him. And uh, um, it was, part of it was basketball training and part of it was giving Charlie a lesson in humility. And, uh, and I enjoyed watching both of those. Uh, I am terrible at basketball. I can't dribble, pass, or shoot. So uh, aside from that, uh, uh, it just it was never my sport. But um, it was fun to watch him play because he was really good and uh, um, had some really, as he's shared with me over the years, unique opportunities when he was in high school and to play basketball and, and got to meet a lot of very interesting people. Um, and, then, and then in his life in evangelism, uh, his ministry, both as an evangelist and then in Hawaii for a while, and then um, and now with Pacific Rim Mission. Uh, I, he, he kind of intimated this briefly for you, but America is not the center of the universe. Um, it's hard for all of us to believe that because we're grown up kind of, we're, we grow up kind of being taught that. But uh, the largest cities in the world are not here. Um, our largest cities pale in comparison to the largest cities in other countries. And you go to places like Mexico and China and India, and their villages are, are like New York. I mean, they're huge. Some of these cities are massive. It was a privilege for me uh, years ago, and I think maybe now seven years ago, to travel to the Philippines uh, to Bacolod and speak at the seminary that they were developing. It wasn't really a seminary yet at the time. Um, there were somewhere around 40 to 50 pastors and others who came uh, to hear this kind of a unusual American pastor speak uh, on, uh, I think the topic was spiritual warfare. Uh, but it was, it was a, just a really fun week for me, uh, very hot. And I went in the cool time, and it was very hot. Uh, I was so thankful for the air conditioning they had in my room. But it was just really good. And we got to meet uh, people who, and this is the best part, who, who grew up and heard the gospel outside of America. Uh, but because years ago, American missionaries went to the Philippines. And, and what was really neat was hearing them say, we love America. And I, and I was thinking, well, why do you love America? And they said, because you sent missionaries. And that's how we got the gospel. And, and it, it wasn't a political thing. It wasn't a freedom thing. It was simply all about Christ. And, and uh, we've been supporting Pacific Rim Mission now for about that length of time. And it's just been really fun to be, be a part of that. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be going back in the spring for two weeks to speak to some pastors there uh, on, on counseling and uh, just looking forward to that. Tim Valiente, who we support, is, is involved now with uh, the seminary training there and getting it all locked down and systematized. And, and these men are learning, and it's just helping their ministries and their churches so much to be able to do this. And a lot of it comes from Mark's vision and his heart to reach people in other places. And so... It's, it's kind of missions work, but a little different than what maybe we're used to. Uh, and, and in terms of cross-cultural evangelism, I, there are a few people who have the skill and have the learning just going through it to be able to do it well. And so, Mark, you come and share what God's laid on your heart. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Real joy to be with you today. Sorry that Brother Davis couldn't join us, and we had to shorten the conference because I was Looking forward to meeting him and his input as well, but so delighted to have today to be able to share with you on the subject of cross-cultural uh, evangelism. 
And uh, we'll be doing that uh, in just a moment from Acts chapter 17. Let me just give you a quick update of our mission because you folks uh, pray for us and you also support uh, our ministry and people involved with our ministry. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, very indebted to the gospel partnerships we have with churches around the country that really help fuel what we are doing in Asia. So as of now, we have uh, seminaries in three locations in Asia. We have uh, a Haven of Grace Seminary in the Philippines on the island of Negros. And uh, on that island, we actually have three locations. And so we have one in Bacolod, one in Pulupandan, and one in Hinaba'an. And um, our goal is simply training men to be ministers of the gospel and church planters. And especially love our Hinaba'an location. These are men that pastor churches way up in the mountain. They've never had any opportunity for a formal Bible education. And they come into Hinaba'an and we have a, a place, a church there we meet at and has a projector and screen and computers and internet. And they get teaching in person and they get teaching online. And it's just exciting to see what the Lord's doing. So Right now in the Philippines, we have about 75 students that we're training in those three locations. And then just about two months ago, we restarted our seminary in Myanmar. Uh, obviously, we all went through COVID, but one thing we didn't go through at the same time as COVID was a military coup <laughs> that took over the country and completely destroyed the way of life in Myanmar. So they had COVID and the coup, and it just really has decimated their country. But uh, it was, um, we had to, just at the end of our first year is when the uh, COVID and the coup really happened. And so we had to cancel uh, classes for a year, our school for a year there, because it was too dangerous to be in school. <laughs> and imagine that. And so, uh for the last year, I've just been training online. Our, our seminary faculty there, three of them, we met every week for about three hours and uh, just discipleship and mentoring and getting ready for um, our uh, classes whenever the Lord would allow them to start again. And finally in June, they said, let's do it. And so despite the hazards, I mean, think about this. I met someone who's going to Pensacola and someone who's going to UNCW and They'll hop in a car and they'll go to school, you know, just in a couple of hours or whatever. So it took our students three to four days to get from their homes to the city of Yangon so they could go to school. And the reason it took three to four days is because there were military checkpoints. At any point in time, you could be arrested. There was gunfire. <laughs> And when they heard gunfire, they had to find a new route. <laughs> Otherwise, they probably would get right in the middle of it. And then there were um, transportation issues. You know, nope, the buses aren't running because the military has taken over this or shut down this road. Three to four days changing their route the entire way. But praise God, in June, we started now our second year of our seminary in Myanmar with 12 students. And it's just, I can't imagine, I mean, the determination of these young men to say nothing is going to stop me from preparing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Myanmar. And so I'm just so grateful for the resilience that uh, these people have and a lot of times you see their resilience more in their culture than we have in ours. I know we all face trials and struggles, but it never took me four days to get to college unless it was also part of a family vacation, not running from bullets. So uh, pray for me and Mar, and uh, we are getting ready to start our third seminary, or I should say in our third country, uh, in India in the fall, in September. And so the exciting thing about this seminary in northeastern India 
is that uh, this part of India is sandwiched in between Bangladesh, which is a very difficult country to get into with the gospel, Nepal, which is also a very difficult country to get into the gospel, northern Myanmar, which when I went to Myanmar, they literally, on the day that you, you know, come into the country, they say, they give you a map of the country, and they put a big X on northern Myanmar and say, it is illegal for you to travel there as an American. You will be arrested. If you don't get arrested, which would be for your benefit, you probably will be killed. So you cannot travel to this area. And that's right up in the area where we have our seminary. So we said, okay, we can start with 20 students. And I'm sure it will take some time because it's our first year. And in June, we had 20 students. And we're not even starting till September. It's completely full with students from Bangladesh, Nepal, uh, Indian, and also Burmese from northern Myanmar. It's going to be quite an international seminary with the opportunity. I just can't imagine the opportunity to train young men who are Bangladeshi, Nepali, and they would be able to go back into their country, which would be very difficult for us to get into and to take the gospel. And so we are so excited about what God's doing in Asia. Uh, if you total them all up, we probably are training, or once the India Seminary gets started, we probably will be training between 105 to 110 men for ministry in Asia. And it's just exciting. I see growth on the horizon with the uh, the philosophy and the formula that we're using now. And so I uh, don't want to get ahead of the Lord. These are just the three countries the Lord's opened up. But if he opens more in the future, then uh, I think we'll be ready to go in. So thank you for your support, your prayers. I mentioned in Sunday school, we do have prayer cards out on the table in the foyer. And we would absolutely love for you to pick one up and uh, pray for us. And if you're like, hey, I, I want to get in on supporting, there are some envelopes out there and you can just put a check in or cash and we'll make sure it gets to whoever. Uh, but um, it's, it's really exciting. And uh, <laughs> as an encouragement to you, uh, do you know what it costs to train an Indian national for one month in India? You know what our cost is for them for one month? Okay, now, now, context, in the U.S., to go to a Christian college right now, a cheap Christian college, it's about $2,500 a month, okay? So around $25,000 a year, roughly, all right? In India, we can train an Indian national for $50 a month. That's everything. And we can train a Burmese national for $33 a month. That's everything. That's room, board, tuition, rice, even more rice for $33 a month. And in the Philippines, between $40 to $50 a month. So if you're like, oh, I could do $50, are you kidding me, to put a guy through school every month? That's the kind of thing we're talking about in terms of training nationals to do the work of the ministry. And this might surprise you, and, and it all goes together with the message today, but uh, some, you know, you say, why, why are you doing the training nationals thing? And it's for several reasons. One, because they don't need the gospel in Asia. What did you just say? No, they, they don't need the gospel in Asia. They have the gospel in Asia. The gospel has come to Asia. And it came years ago through your William Careys and Hudson Taylors and Adoniram Judsons. And, and there were people who did go and take the gospel, but for the last couple hundred years, they've had the gospel in Asia. That's not the issue. And it has spread quickly. They don't need missionaries in Asia. What? Pastor Mark, you're the director of a mission. But nope, they don't need American missionaries. And there are enough missionaries in Asia. In fact, when we train the Filipinos and the Burmese and the Indian, they're like, 
send me anywhere. I'll go. I'll go sleep on bamboo in the middle of the jungle to take the gospel. It's like, okay, <laughs> I wouldn't do that, right? But they will. The issue is not the gospel. The issue is not missionaries. But there's one thing they don't have in Asia, and I'm not saying everywhere, but they don't have it to the degree that we do, and that is they just do not have formal Bible education and training. And so every country I go into, they're like, we don't need the gospel and we don't need missionaries, but we do need training. We don't know how to preach. We don't know how to teach. We don't, we've never had any kind of formal Bible training. Could you just teach us from the Bible? And to give you an idea, someone did a survey in the United States of America there is one trained Bible teacher for about every 250 Americans. In Asia, there is one trained Bible teacher for every 250,000 Asians. And that's why you had one Chinese pastor who was pastoring, I'm not kidding, 30 churches. And out of the 30 churches, it represented 30,000 Chinese. And he tried to get around to each church twice a month because he was the only one who had any kind of training on how to preach or teach the Bible. One pastor, 30 churches, just trying to get to them twice a month. And he said, you've got to teach, you've got to train. We just need more of this in Asia. So that's why we're there doing what we're doing. You can look us up online at pacificrimmissions.org and find out more about what's going on. Pastor Matt has seen, shared, and I just want to share a little bit of that with you because of our subject in cross-cultural evangelism and also because you folks pray for and support our ministry, and we're so appreciative of that. Well, let's open our Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts. Sometimes I want to say the gospel of Acts because it's just a follow-up to the gospels and how the gospel prospered in the New Testament church. And we have an interesting scenario here in Acts 17 about Paul ministering the gospel to a different culture, to people who were raised differently than he was. Paul certainly, as a person, he was very well trained, uh, probably educated in Tarsus, and uh, he definitely was trained religiously in terms of the religion of the Pharisees, and then became a believer. And so there's no question that he had understanding of Hebrew and Greek and different cultures, but this is a place that he's not been to before, and a people that are new to him, and so he is ministering to them. Uh, and his way of ministering to them is going to give us, hopefully, some insight into how do you minister the gospel cross-culturally? As we talked about in Sunday school, when people process information differently, when they think differently, when they, they've been exposed to different things that you and I have not, traditions, religion, worship, you know, how, how do you interact with them in a way that translates into at least success in terms of giving the gospel? The results may not always be there. We, of course, want everyone to be saved, as the Lord does. But how do you at least get to that point where you are engaging in gospel conversation? And we're going to take uh, Paul's... Um, interactions here with the people at Athens, the background, he has been in Thessalonica and it was rough going there. And then um, he goes from there to uh, uh, Berea and it's a little better there, but, but they come over from Thessalonica and, and they kind of stir up things there. So he's had to keep moving on. And finally, they're like, Paul, you need to get out of here. You're going to lose your life. And he gets over to Athens and that's where this passage starts in verse 16 of Acts 17. Now, while Paul waited for them, speaking of uh, Timothy and Silas in verse 15, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit 
was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And that would be very characteristic of uh, different cultures around the world. We talked about it in Sunday school. Hinduism and Buddhism and, and uh, Islam and Catholicism. And, and you look and you see that it, it's no different. The worship of false gods, false religions, very prevalent. And so he gets these, enters right into the thick of this cross-cultural situation that is given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Key point, verse 17, we'll come back to it later. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For you bring certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians, and, and this is kind of a cultural note that the Holy Spirit has Luke throw in there. Okay, what's the culture like there? Well, the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. Interesting sidelight there. So Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. It's like we talked about today with the Philippines and the mix of superstition in their religious uh, habits and worship. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood of all nations for, of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection, of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear you again of this matter. Some years ago, I was uh, listening to a documentary on uh, children and how children are born into the world in different cultures. And the documentary made an interesting note that of all the bonds that children experience coming into the world, it doesn't matter what culture you're in, whether you're born as an American baby or, uh, you know, in Africa or Europe or Asia, wherever you are, there's one thing in all children that is common everywhere in the world because of the intimate relationship that a child feels toward a mother and that mother-child bond. And that is this. There is one word in every culture that sounds exactly 
or roughly exactly the same, and it is the word mama. So in Italian, it's mama. And over in Asia, it's mama. And in America, it's mama. It's just that bond. Every culture experiences the birth of a child, the bond between mother, the child, mama. And as that word translates the same across every culture, so does the gospel. The gospel also translates the same across every culture. And we're going to see in this particular passage that, that Paul is so wise and adept and, and just brilliantly fuses into the situation with Athens. Never been there before, never met these people before, just really getting immersed in some of the cultural aspects of what's going on as he is in the marketplace and sometimes he's in the synagogue and sometimes he's just out in public meeting people and he's processing all of this information about different people, different culture, uh, you know, Greek language, um, what are their cultural norms, how do they think, using all of this as an opportunity to engage with the gospel. And that really is what we're going to see in Acts 17 is what God has called us to do right here in Cary. Uh, I don't know what the statistics are or the percentages. Pastor Matt probably does. But just the complexion of your area here has changed over the years to the point where it is very racially, ethnically, culturally different. So if you're a local church and you're reaching out into the local community, then there probably should be a degree to which the makeup in the church reflects the makeup in the local community. So how are we engaging in that in terms of College Park Baptist Church? And I just kind of want to work our way through the text and make the significant points that the passage also makes. And where I would like to start is verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens his spirit was stirred in him. The word literally means to be provoked, as in something provoking you to action. When he saw that the city was given to idolatry, it did something inside of him. And the first place that I have to start, and this is always true, it is a general principle involved in evangelism, and that is this, folks. True gospel evangelism is burden-driven, not guilt-driven. And that's something that happens inside of you. It's something that God does in you. You look at people that are worshiping false gods. You, you look at people and you can see the emptiness in their lives. You look at people and they don't experience the same joy and peace that you have. You see how God changed your life and brought some of you out of false religion and into the truth, and you want that for them. This kind of thing is not going to happen if God's people are saying, well, yeah, my pastor kind of talks about it a lot, and he wants me to do it. True evangelism is not pastor-driven. True evangelism is not church-driven. Well, I kind of go to College Park, and we're a local church in the community, and, and I guess it would probably be the, the, the smart thing, the wise thing, the, the, you know, the appropriate thing, that if we're in the community as a church, then I guess I probably need to be. So I grew up in a day where it was like, you know, you, 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 it was like a guilt-driven evangelism. Like, you need to be out there telling people about Jesus or... No. Paul went into Athens and when he looked around him and he saw the idolatry and he saw the emptiness in the lives of people, it did something inside that moved him. 
So I'll be honest with you, I can stand up here all day and I can give you insights on cross-cultural evangelism and I can tell you what we do in the Philippines and Myanmar and India and I can tell you some of the lessons that God has taught me and, and your pastor can do the same. We can get up here and we can preach all day about evangelism, but I will say this, unless God's Spirit does something in you to stir your heart, to engage, to talk, to put the effort in, pardon, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so I'm not going to stand up here today, you need to be, if you're a Christian, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll let the Holy Spirit do it. And if you're in the, you know, if you're sitting in the message and you're like, yeah, man, God's speaking to my heart. I, I, I just don't put much effort into this. I just don't engage. I just, I have people that cross my path every day. I, when's the last time I even had a conversation with, am I actively seeking to build friendships? To, and, and if the Spirit is like, do you see what's happening in your neighborhood and in your city and in your community and all the people around you? Is that doing something inside of you? That's where it starts. Cross-cultural evangelism starts with someone who's given a burden by the Spirit of God. And they just there's this sense in which they may not even do it outwardly, but they just weep over what they see around them. The idolatry... The, the, the emptiness, the, the, the lives that are being destroyed. And they're like, okay, I really want to engage. I want to do something about it. So it starts with the burden that God gives you to reach people. He does something that's in your heart. Burden. Verse 17, opportunity. Therefore, okay, something's happening inside of him. So what's the follow-up? Okay, three things. He disputed in the synagogue with the Jews. And then he also dialogued with devout persons, people that were interested religiously. And then he even engaged in the daily market with people that were there to have a conversation. And I love the way this, this falls out here in verse 17 Paul simply took advantage of the opportunities that existed that were already there for the gospel. And there were opportunities for conversation. In the Jewish synagogue, you, you, if you were there, uh, you would always be asked, hey, do you have a word? Hey, do you have a word? Even when Jesus, hey, do you have a word? And he stood up and read from Isaiah 61, right? That's, that was the culture in the Jewish synagogue, and, and he took advantage of that. Hey, let me talk to you. Yes, I do have something to say. Let me share about That was an opportunity available to him. And then uh, there was the intentional conversation with those who were already devout people, and they were interested. It's like whenever I went to Myanmar, and I was going through the Buddhist temple complex, and I met a Buddhist monk and very devoted. He already, right, is practicing some religion, some experience. He wants to talk religion. Why are you here? What are you doing in Myanmar? And I share with him. And, and uh, he's like, well, let's have a conversation. And I'm like, sure, what do you want to talk about? And he said, well, let's talk about Buddha. And let's also talk about Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, great. Let's have a conversation. It's there. He's interested in religion. That's just an opportunity that's right in front of you. And sometimes you meet people in your workplace or community. They're already worshiping. Some of them, I was talking with someone um, I met uh, just about a month or so ago, and they were talking about how they had a, uh, they had a Quran and they had a, uh, a Bible, and they had a Book of Mormon, and, they, and it was already on their shelf at home. And they were reading them. And it's like, yeah, let's have a conversation. So in the Jewish synagogue, it's an opportunity there. I can go in to the synagogue, and they'll probably ask me, hey, do you have a word to say? And I'll use that platform. And then there's already people that I know are interested in worship and religion and, 
and they want to talk about this subject. And so, yeah, let's have a conversation. And then the third of it, of it was sometimes even just coincidental. In fact, the idea here is when he met with people in the marketplace, it's just Paul was in the marketplace and there were people around that wanted to listen to what he had to say. In fact, to translate it to our vernacular, they were out shopping and they had a conversation. In fact, he was probably talking with someone and someone overheard, and then they joined the conversation, and someone else overheard, and they came to look for this at the farmer's market or whatever it is, and then they overheard, and, then, and all of a sudden there was a group around, and they were all talking about what? Jesus resurrected? What are you talking about? My point is, to be a good cross-cultural evangelist, take advantage of the opportunities that are already available to you. Sometimes they're intentional, sometimes they're coincidental, but they are there, and that's the key, taking advantage of what is already there. Maybe they're in the workplace during your lunch break, and there's the Indian guy or the, the Asian guy, or that, you know, and you're in conversation about different things, and okay, there it is. I, they brought it up, or we were just talking, Maybe it's in the neighborhood. Maybe the neighborhood has a street party or has a community thing and you're all there and you have all these people from different cultures that live in your neighborhood and you just happen to all be together and, wow, you're just having a conversation and just it's an opportunity that's there. Maybe it's, oh, our kids play on the same sport team and you're just kind of there at practice watching and you just are getting to know them and they're getting to know you and conversations come up. Maybe it's a church function. Oh, we had a church function and we invited these people from the community and they showed up and now, wow, great opportunity to meet, have a conversation. Community gathering, it doesn't matter. One, you got to have a burden and two, when you do, you will be able to see the opportunities that are already there, that already exist. And I would say that probably if we are looking for them because we have a burden for reaching cross-culturally, there's probably more opportunities already than we're even aware of or thinking of. We just have to be spirit-led. We, we just have to understand where they are. Uh, I can think of one that I had simply because I was traveling on a plane 12-hour flight from Seattle to Shanghai, China. And it's such a long flight. So I stood up and I just stood in the middle where the restrooms are. And I'm just standing there stretching. And there was a guy that was waiting and, and they were all full. And one came open and I said, no, no, go ahead. I'm just kind of up stretching. And so he went and finally he came out and then I went in, and when I came back out, he was still standing there, and I thought, oh, this, I guess he's stretching too, but he was actually waiting for me. And he said, uh, hey, just uh, spoke good English. And he said, uh, where are you going? What are you? And I told him about our mission and what we do in Asia. And he said, um, oh, he said, that's interesting. He said, you know, about three years ago, I, I work for a company in Shanghai, but we also have an office in Texas, and so I travel back and forth. But, you know, there was this other Chinese guy at my work, and he invited me to a Bible study. I've never met this guy before, and all of a sudden we were standing there between the restrooms engaged in conversation, and I didn't push anything, I didn't say anything, and we just stood there for a while longer. And then he grabbed my arm and he said, Hey, the seat next to me is open. Could you come sit down? And I just have some questions. And for the rest of the flight, we just had this gospel conversation and answering questions. And it's like, okay, you know why the opportunity was there? Because we were both on the same plane. And just, it happens. And so I want to encourage you that this is the way that it should be for the believer who has a burden. I go to work. I take my kid to sports. I shop in the area. I, I, we have community gatherings. I, I do business here. I just, and I meet people that are of a different nationality, different culture, and I try to engage them. And, and we, you know, build this relationship. And 
That's what Paul did. Marketplace. Oh, they look like they're really devout. They're already interested in religion. Let's have a religious conversation. Oh, Jewish synagogue. It's just all these opportunities were available. Now to the conversation. Verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and Stoics encountered him. Now I love this. So they encountered him. And then they said, what will this babbler say? Now, I want you to look at the word encountered and the word babbler. Because the word encountered, it's actually a strong word that means to like throw words. Okay, to throw words at someone as if to um, sort of engage them in conversation, to really challenge them, to stump them. But the word babbler is actually a word that means to sow words. You're just giving information. You're just putting it out there. That's why when Paul said, well, let me tell you something maybe you haven't heard. I'm just sowing this. Jesus and the resurrection. Who's this strange? What? <laughs> okay, we haven't heard that before. So they were throwing words at Paul and he was sowing words back to them. This is cross-cultural dynamite. This is fantastic. Can, you can't do it any better. Here's the point. The conversation was engaging. It was challenging. And from their perspective, it was at times confrontational. They were throwing words at him. Folks, let me say, this is good. You want people to, to challenge you. You need to know the word well enough that you are okay with people who have a different worldview, who are challenging your belief and your thinking and asking you questions. Do you know the word that well? In fact, you know what Peter said? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to answer any man who ask you, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? Oh, you've been thinking about that. I have an answer. So there's nothing wrong with people challenging your Christianity, your worldview, what you believe about God, what you know from the scriptures. That should actually be a challenge to know your Bible well enough that, okay, I'm not saying I have every answer. Have you ever been stumped, Pastor Mark? Yeah, you had to go back and do some research. <laughs> okay, I'll get back with you. That's a great question, right? That's, a, that's good cross-cultural interaction there. So whenever they were challenging his worldview, here's how Paul responded. He just sowed the words. Well, let me introduce you to something you haven't heard before. Because that very truth is going to make them think and make them also feel a bit uncomfortable, but without condemnation or judgment. In other words, this is not Paul's response as they challenge him. What? You don't believe in God? <laughs> What you you haven't ever read the Bible? You oh that book right there that's that's garbage. That, no, challenge my faith. Go ahead. I have an answer for you. Now let me tell you about Jesus and the resurrection. What's that? And as they were throwing words at Paul. He was just sowing words back very kindly of, well, let me tell you this. And that's how you handle cross-cultural gospel engagement. It's not, remember John 3.17? You know John 3.16 well, right? Oh, say that right now. What's John 3.17 say? For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right? I will tell you this. If you just, if you come at people cross-culturally and it's like, 
what you believe you worship those idols and and you read out of that book and you know you you do this and you do i'm just telling you you've shut them down end of conversation done it's over i'm not talking with you again it's okay if they challenge you but then when you come back well here let me speak to you about something that i know that i you know, this is what changed my life. I, and it's disarming. And it's like, okay, I, I haven't heard that before. That's okay. Not approaching them conversationally from a standpoint of judgment, but let God, and that's what I love Paul did, let God create the interest by keeping the focus on Jesus. Don't belittle religious systems or leaders. Just before COVID hit, uh, I had been planning a trip to Pakistan. And so I'd been in conversation with people, very Islamic country. Uh, obviously, Mohammed is revered, right? And so I'm like, okay, need some help negotiating this because I don't understand how people think and how they approach this. And so long, long conversations with a Pakistani national about when you come, and then COVID hit, I've never been able to get there, but when you come, okay, it is illegal to desecrate, disrespect, or talk about Mohammed in a negative way. You will be arrested. Okay, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what about Jesus. You can talk about Jesus. Jesus is even in the Quran. He's mentioned. You can talk about Jesus all day. Just don't say anything negative about Muhammad. Okay. And I love what Paul did here. He didn't throw words back at them and say, you idolatrous people, you, you have no clue what you're doing. You're so dishonoring God. By... No. That's okay. Throw words at me. I'll try to answer your questions, but let me tell you about Jesus and the resurrection. Just kind of plant that, just sow that thought, that name, that event into your mind. Very, very smooth way of engaging in a Jesus discourse. Verse 19. Oh. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. I love this. When you have spoken, it's like we said in Sunday school, give time and be patient because people process things differently. Let the word sink in. Let them chew on it. Try to grasp and understand it and wait for a lead to further conversation. The Areopagus, Paul understood that it was a place of public discourse. Everyone in Athens comes here to, what's that? What's new? What's the conversation about? What, what are you saying? But notice who brought him there. They did. It, it's like I, I was just having this conversation with this Chinese national, you know, on the airplane. And I was just like, nope, don't push it. Don't push it. Don't be aggressive. Don't, don't you do it. Just be patient. Just wait, because I was brought up the exact opposite. Man, when you have an opportunity for the gospel, brother, you just get in there and you, I mean, you better do it now. That you should have that guy saved before he gets off this plane, <laughs> before the flight lands. No. And I've learned, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And we just talked and talked and talked. We talked about business. We talked about Chinese culture. We talked about American culture. We talked about religion. We talked about all kinds of things. And I'm like, nope, just wait. And then he's the one that said, hey, I've got this seat open to me. Can, can you come talk some more? Yeah, sure. And that's what happened here. Paul preaches about Jesus and the resurrection. And literally, the Greek terminology here is that they grabbed him. They literally grabbed him, if you will. And they led him to the Areopagus and they said, let's hear about this some more. And the thing I want to encourage you in is that when you give time and be patient 
And as you sow words, you let people think on them and let, let it sink in, often it leads to further conversation, a greater door. In fact, when they go to the Areopagus, there's going to be more people there and a greater venue for the gospel if you'll just be patient and let God do the work. It's like I said earlier, different cultures process truth in different ways and on different levels. And sometimes it's even age that makes a difference. If you go to the South Pacific Islands and you're a young person, 20 years old, 25 years old, and you go to a village and they have an elder in the village, 60-year-old man, 70-year-old man, has been there all his life. I'm telling you what, you had better shut your mouth. He is the elder voice. He is respected in the culture. And whatever he says goes. So you know what you do? You wait your time or until the elder says, okay, you can speak now. But until then, you respect their culture and you be quiet. I know today of a young man who has a thriving church that he planted in one of those islands because there was a day as a Christian, he was not the elder tribal clansman. So he bided his time, had a good testimony for the Lord, bided his time, and then finally he got to the point where he was a respected voice, and the eldest clansman said, okay, you can start a church now. And he started a church, and it is a thriving church because he waited for that time in the culture for God to open the door. And that's what we have to do. Paul is not saying... Okay, let's go to the Areopagus and discuss this. No, let me tell you about Jesus and the resurrection. They're thinking about this. Wow, that's really strange. And we haven't heard this before. <laughs> Probably have some discussion among themselves. And then they literally are the ones that come over and grab him and say, okay, you're coming with us. <laughs> we want more people to hear what you're talking about. Just wait for those opportunities. And then the culture. Verse 21. Understanding cultural norms can open doors. Being ignorant of them can shut doors. Paul was so wise to the way that the culture played into his hand. Like, verse 21. Cultural norms, Greek philosophy ruled the day. Knowledge was equated with wisdom. They were a curious culture. They had to know. We have to know what you are talking about. Okay. So he would sow that knowledge and inform them of something they didn't know, had not heard. And they were open to it, and they had the time and the willingness to listen. He understood that in verse 21, and he took advantage of what was available to him within the culture that would be a gospel opportunity. There was also, notice this, verse 22, cultural admiration. Paul begins with a positive admiration for their devout pursuits. Hey, you're, you're, I, I have this insight. You, you're superstitious. You, you have devotion. You have an altar. I saw this inscription. I admire the fact that, that you, you want to worship, and I admire that you have these religious pursuits. Now let me just sow something else in there for you to think about. He has an admiration for the culture. Um, it's, it's wonderful when you immerse yourself. If you're going to be a cross-cultural evangelist, it's wonderful when you immerse yourself into knowledge about the religion and life and food, and, and social norms, and, and just contributions to society, and understanding about a country. And When I go to the Philippines, I learn everything I can. And then when I get there, you know what I do to people? Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, get all this knowledge. And sometimes I'm in conversation, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, they're like, oh, do, um, this. And I said, oh, yeah, I know. I visited that park. And, I did, and they're like, you have? 
like like you're that interested in our culture that you actually went there and so yeah i did it was really cool and you know what i saw there and all of a sudden they're engaged in this conversation it's like cool that's what we should be doing eat the food talk about their religion find out about their country understand how they think it really helps Cultural norms, cultural admira admiration, and cultural observations. Paul recognized, verse 23, their time and attention and efforts, which related to the subject he was interested in talking about. Every culture has something that it worships. <laughs> I was in India, and I'm driving down the road, and there's an Indian man uh, taking me, and all of a sudden, right by us goes this pickup truck. And in the back of the pickup truck, all these Indians are standing, and they have all these statues in the back of their pickup truck. I'm like, okay, so explain that. What, what is that? And he said, oh, they're transporting their gods. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, it's probably, they're either probably having a wedding or they're probably having some big family gathering or they're probably having a party or, and they just want to make sure that their gods are there extending their blessing, watching over everything. It's all going to be good. You know, and I'm like transporting their gods. Hmm. Just throw your God in the back of a pickup truck, you know, and you can take them wherever you and so I said, how did that? And I was asking all these questions. And before you know it, a pickup truck full of these gods being transferred. I learned so much about Indian thinking, culture, this. And in the end, we had a gospel conversation. And it's like, I appreciated it. It was awesome. So these, uh, we're out of time. Okay, I'm over time. But. These things are, if, if we look at Paul, we're going to finish the rest of this tonight because in verses uh, 24 and following, he's actually, we're going to take us through, how do you actually witness to someone from a different culture? Going through the gospel presentation. So the first part of this is how do you engage? How do you kind of get into where I actually had a gospel conversation with someone from a different culture, and it was cool. That's how Paul did it. And now tonight, when it comes to that gospel conversation, what do you bring up? What do you talk about? What, what's the best way to actually present the gospel to someone? Different religion, different culture. How do we do that? So hope this has been helpful this morning. If you want to uh, get the rest of it, Come back tonight. Love to see you. Pastor. Thank you, Mark. I will say before we close in prayer, and I'm not going to take up any more time, just to say this. This is so important. Um, we have so many people who live around us who worship false gods. Um, I was across the street um, back when we did go door to door through the community and I, I talked to a man who was expecting friends to visit. That's who he thought I was when I rang his doorbell. He thought I was one of his friends. And I noticed there um, that he was dressed in a certain way. They had their, their idol there right inside the door. And he said, my friends, we're com are coming over because it's our God's birthday. And we are worshiping this God. And, and I'm going to tell you something, friends. That, that's, not, that's not humorous. That's not, that's not um, interesting intellectually. That's, that's demonic, and it's fearful, and we must learn this if we're going to reach people. It, it, if we stay a white church, we have failed, and we're not. I understand that. I mean, we have other cultures here, but this is kind of what the church in America is, okay? That's historically. We have to reach these people with the gospel, and... and and if we don't, we failed. And I, I just have so much urgency behind this. So please keep praying, keep learning. Uh, this is not going to, we're not going to hit everything this week and this Sunday, but we have to learn this and do better. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, 
Thank you for this time this morning to talk about engaging other cultures with the gospel. We have other cultures all around us, Lord, people from India and China and Korea and people from Eastern Europe and Africa. And Lord, we, we think about how necessary it is that we reach them. Uh, this is what you have placed us here to do as your church, to disciple the nations. And woe be to us, Lord, if we fail to do that. So help us, Lord, to uh, do a better job of reaching people with the gospel in our community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good day. God bless you.